0: As I noted during the announcements, this is the final week of our six-week series on the days of our lives. uh, A series on the episodes of faith in our lifetime. You may have noticed, uh, some of you may have noticed that I shared on social media that on November 11th, uh, 2018, that was last year, I included a quote on the cover of our church bulletin, no one has a perfect life, everybody has something that he wishes was not the way it is. That's a quote by comic book icon, Stan Lee. The next day after I put that quote on the bulletin, November 12th, 2018, Stan Lee died at the age of 95. This fall, we offered this sermon series called The Days of Our Lives, The Episodes of Faith in Our Lifetime, based on the longest-running scripted television show in the world, started in November 1965, the sermon series concluding today. On November 12, 2019, the entire cast of Days of Our Lives was released from their contract, and the show was put on indefinite hiatus. I don't know what I'm doing, (laughs) but I'm not going to be referencing pop culture next fall (laughs) for everyone's sake. We have had this series, we've walked through the 40s and the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now we're here, we're here today looking at the landscape for the church in this, our current episode of faith. Let us pray. Chatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. This summer, I was invited to offer a sermon at an installation service for a friend. The date of the service was October 27th. The time of the service was 4 p.m., and the place for the service was Washington, D.C., how does one get to Washington, D.C. by 4 p.m. when one's morning services in Michigan end at around noon? Well, one finds a flight from DTW to Reagan that takes off at about 2 and lands at about quarter past 3. One gets off that flight and finds an Uber for the 20-minute ride from the airport to the church, where one would be delivered just in time to robe up and join the processional. No problem, right? (laughs) Well, there were no problems. There were no problems. I left here. And there were no problems getting to the airport. There were no problems getting through security. There were no problems getting on the plane. There were no problems with takeoff or landing. In fact, we landed early. And then the pilot came on the speakers and said, well, folks, they've been backed up here all day. And it's going to be a few minutes. Before we can get a gate. And now we had a problem. Because you know how this goes. Just a few minutes. It ticked by and I watched the clock. It ticked by to the point where I had no room for error. And I texted Ari, my wife, and I said, I don't think I'm gonna make this service. And she texted me back. She said, I'm so sorry. I know this meant a lot to you. I'm sorry that this is happening to you. And I said, well, there's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. And I looked around, and I wasn't the only one. The entire plane was filled with people fidgeting in their seats and and hammering on their phones, peeking around the people in front of them and out the windows, hopeful that there was some sign that relief was soon to come. There was nothing we could do stuck on that tarmac. This is how it feels sometimes these days to be a pastor, (laughs) to be a part of a church, I'm sure, as well, stuck on the tarmac, wondering if there's anything we can do because... It's no secret that there is a Christianity-wide decline in the church. That is the episode of faith that we're living in, and it almost feels like there's nothing we can do. The Pew Research Center just released new data, and it's a dire report that came out in October, it says, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. Down 12 percentage points in the last decade. It also shows that 17% of Americans now describe their religion as nothing in particular, up from 12% in 2009. Over 10 years, over the last decade, the share of Americans who say they attend religious services at least once or twice a month dropped by 7 percentage points. Again, that's 10 years. The decline here in the States is drastic, but it's even worse in the UK. One headline screams, Church of England staring down oblivion, as just 2% of young Britons say they identify with it. UK's national religion facing unrelenting decline, and it just feels like there's nothing you can do. Stuck on the tarmac, looking around, Just thankful that there are still some people on the plane experiencing this with you. At the same time, Madeline Ward, a UK theologian, writes, We are in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. Figures vary hugely, but it is estimated that as many as 23% of UK adults feel lonely always or often." Meaning that several millions of Brits are regularly affected, and this epidemic is a very uh, literal issue. She says, Loneliness is a risk factor for dementia, heart disease and stroke, poor mental health and early death, as well as a key predictor for how likely a patient is to follow a treatment plan. Wouldn't it be amazing if these two groups of people could find one another. This one group of people stuck on the tarmac, wondering if there's anything we can do to make our community of faith relevant, to grow again. And this other group of people stuck on the tarmac, wondering, is there anything I can do with this loneliness I'm experiencing, this sense of cynicism about life even? Wouldn't it be amazing if those two groups of people could come together and the church could be a place of healing. That's what James, the author of today's letter, really hopes for. That the church would be a place of healing. When James, the younger brother of Jesus, writes to the first-century Christian community, he does so mostly to give them a blueprint for living their lives. The book of James is a moral code. There are 108 verses in the book, and in those verses are 59 exhortations. He wants to tell you how to live your life. He says, Be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to wrath. He says, show no partiality. Faith without works is dead. Ask God for wisdom. But here, in the last section of the letter, James uses the word ekklesia, the Greek word ekklesia, which is church. He uses that word for the first time in his entire letter. And here, he is gathering up the church and pointing them in the direction of living their life, just as he has done throughout the entire letter for individuals. Is any of you in trouble? Is any of you happy? Is any one of you sick, he says. He should call the elders of the church to pray and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And there it is. You might be tempted to read on and see what else James says about what the church should be. But all you're going to find till the end of his letter is a few verses about the prophet Elijah and how he prayed so hard the heavens opened up and he was saved from the prophets of Baal. You're not going to find James saying, well, the church ought to be a place where people go when they have their lives all together. You can read on, but James isn't gonna say the church is the place you go when you're trying to determine whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. James isn't gonna say that. You can read on, but James isn't gonna say that the church is the place where you go when you wanna hear really great stories from the pulpit. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Or sing those amazing hymns even. James is not one to hold anything back. And all he has to say about the church is that it's supposed to be a place of healing, where people find healing, and where people go out to offer it in the name of Jesus, in the name of his older brother who embodied what it meant to be healed. Offer healing for those that are stuck on the tarmac, experiencing life as one where there's nothing you can do. My sense is that people have the wrong impression of what it means to be the church. And we've had the wrong impression for a very long time. People inside the church and people outside the church have the wrong impression of what it means to be a community of faith under our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My last church had a big gym, a gymnasium. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they offered a jazzercise class in this gym. Can't you just see me? I never attended, but they tried to get me. You, you had a little sign out front that said Jazzercise, you know, of this church, right next to our normal church sign. And you can imagine my horror when I'd go about town and I'd say, oh, I'm a pastor at that church on McKennan's Church Road. And they say, oh, you mean the Jazzercise Church? They had the wrong impression of who we were as a church. Rachel Held Evans, the feature character in this sermon series today, the Days of Our Lives series, writes about a pastor's kid who was going before the congregation for confirmation and she decided that she didn't want to do it. She told her dad, the pastor, I'm not sure that I can say that I'm going to believe all these things the way that you say I should believe them for the rest of my life." And her father took her and he said, "'What you promise when you're confirmed is not that you will believe exactly these things forever. What you promise is that this is the story that you will wrestle with forever.'" She, even this pastor's kid, had the wrong impression of what it meant to be a community of faith. It's not complete doctrinal alignment that we're looking for, that James is looking for. He's looking for a community of people that will be about healing. I have a friend who always has resisted when I shared my faith with him. Always smirked at me when I told him what my faith means to me. Type of person who will listen, but only to humor me. My friend's mother had a heart attack at a very young age and he called me and he said, Nate, you know I can't pray, but I know you and your church can. That story's always stuck with me, because this friend, who has always had the wrong impression of what it means to be the church, somehow knew that when he felt like there was nothing he could do in this lonely moment of his life, he knew he could come to the church. I hope that's what this church can be, a place where people can come when they're stuck on the tarmac, experiencing life in such a way that there is nothing that they can do, and they can reach out to find healing, and that you as a community feel empowered to go out and offer that in our world. I hope that's what we are. I hope that's how people will know us. I will have you know that I did arrive at that church in Washington, D.C. I arrived after the processional, but before my place in the program, and so I was right on time. <laughs> after the service, they had a coffee hour, and that uh, at that coffee hour, a man came up to me <coughs> While I was innocently drinking my coffee, and he pointed to the back of the bulletin, and he said, senior pastor at Kirk in the Hills. And I nodded. He scoffed a bit. I was was a pastor in Michigan for a very long time, and I know all about Kirk in the Hills. I sipped my coffee. Do tell. (laughs) Well, he says, do all the ushers still wear white gloves there? (laughs) I spit my coffee back into my mouth. No, I didn't. But I did think to myself, you know all about Kirk in the Hills, do you? seems to me you don't know anything about Kirk in the Hills, because for one, the ushers have never worn white gloves here. I did the research, (laughs) but I resisted the urge to tell him flatly, you have the wrong impression of our church. But I'd like to shout it from the rooftops some days. Because before there was a bell and a tower, before the gorgeous choir, the soaring pulpit, before the cathedral services, the efforts and mission, the commitment to education, before any of that, This place was a man's home. Colonel George had his house here, right there, in the center of our campus. And I remind people of that often, because home was at the very start of who we are. And the idea of home should always remain at the heart of who we are, shouldn't it? On this, our anniversary Sunday, I think we should be reminded of where things started, the kind of church that James calls us to be, a home, a place where people can go to find healing when it seems to them that there's nothing that they can do. As we celebrate our anniversary today, I hope we will take that idea into our anniversaries to come. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.